This morning we are going to talk about prayer, and we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And while you're finding your way there, there are a couple of prayer requests that I would like to ask you to uh, just uphold and, and keep in mind uh, this week. Uh, one is, uh, is an encouraging, encouraging thing that I, I hope that uh, you'll, you'll pray with us for, and the other is uh, on a bit heavier note. Uh, first of all, on the, on the encouraging side of things, uh, one, of the, one of the needs that has been apparent to us for a while is in the area of worship. Um, ever, uh, for about the last 18 months or so, um, uh, Tim Sharp, Cindy Best, and Greg Robinson have really helped lead our worship team, uh, but have found it just a, a very overwhelming um, task and just having difficulty finding the time to be able to, to manage that well. As a, as a volunteer-led uh, ministry. So one of the things we've been praying for is for the Lord to provide the right worship, worship leader, worship pastor. And um, last month, um, uh, we began to draft up a, a job description for this role in this ministry. And um, right about that same time, someone contacted us and, and let us know that they were interested. And the elders and some members of the worship team sat down and began to interview them and, and talk to them a little bit about it. And uh, we've just been really encouraged by what we've heard and seen so far. So we just want to ask that you would join us in prayer as we walk towards uh, this decision. Uh, the Lord has just opened this door, uh, and we expected this to be a process that would take months and months and months, and um, the Lord brought us an individual uh, that has is, is really been... Um, uh, the, the process has gone really well so far, so we just want to ask for your, your prayer as we seek God's wisdom on this, uh, on this process, and um, just are uh, excited to be able to share a little bit more with you here in the next week or two. Um, so we'd invite your prayers there, and then we also want to ask you to pray for, if it, uh, in the first service we have a, a, just a, a blessed couple that um, have uh, been with us for many, many years, and... Uh, uh, many of you know here, um, uh, Delight Strauss, uh, she's been battling with cancer and with ill health for quite some time, and uh, just this weekend, the doctors have told her that there's nothing more that they can do as, as far as helping out uh, with her treatments, and so some of you got the prayer chain phone call this weekend, but for those of you who, who don't get that phone call, we wanted to let you know that um, in all likelihood, Delight will be coming home early part of this week, and the doctor's going to place her on hospice. And so we just covet your prayers for Leonard and for Delight, um, for their kids, their grandkids. Um, this has been uh, just a, a long, long, um, a long haul, and um, Leonard especially just needs your encouragement and your prayers. And so if, if you know them, even if you don't know them, uh, we can get you their address. Just reach out and encourage them. And um, we're going to, this morning, look at First Thessalonians or First Timothy chapter two, and just be reminded of how important it is to pray together, to pray together as God's people. So let's let's just start right now, before we open up these, the scriptures together, by just praying for these requests and uh, for God to teach us this morning. Our heavenly Father, we come here today from all all walks of life and and all kinds of stuff happening. Um, and there are some people here who have come in celebrating great joys and are, are enjoying life and, and maybe things are just going great. And for that, we thank you. But there are others in our midst here who are carrying heavy burdens, um, some that they may not share with anybody but you. Lord, would you come and minister to hearts today? 
Would your spirit be especially near for those who are hurting, for those who are struggling? We're going to be reminded in this passage that that you hear our prayers. That you come, or that we come before you and and you listen, you care. And so, Lord, as we as we pray, we ask that you would give us wisdom as we um, just seek your face on the uh, whether this this individual is the right person to help lead us in worship and in other areas of of discipleship. Lord, we want to pray that you would uh, direct the leaders of this church. Lord, we want to pray that you would um, be near right now to Leonard and Delight. Lord, just may they see your grace and sense your presence in a profound way. Lord, we've been asking for you to heal her, and we don't know why you haven't. We don't, we don't understand that. But we trust that in your wisdom, that you know far more than we ever will. And we just want to ask that in, the, in these moments of suffering and difficulty for the Strausses and their family members, that you would just be close to them in a powerful way. Father, would you teach us your word today? Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and may your spirit empower us to put these truths into practice as we learn more about prayer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul has been talking to us through 1 Timothy about um, issues like false teaching. Uh, we've addressed and, and touched on other topics about um, uh, God's grace in our lives. We've talked about church discipline and how to handle those uh, heavy, heavy issues of sin, and disobedience. And Paul now returns to remind us that as believers gather together, priority needs to be given to prayer. You know, it, we can get so busy in our lives, and even in church life, we're planning programs and services and scheduling this and that, that we can so easily leave God out of the process. How foolish. Paul starts off this passage by saying, first of all, this, is, this should take a, a priority in our life. So this morning, we're going to talk about generous praying. But before we do, let's read the passage together. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. 
First thing we see here is the priority of prayer. The Apostle Paul has said, first of all, I'm drawing your attention to this. I want you to see that this should take top priority. Well, what should that look like? Well, first of all, we should make a priority in prayer this place, the local church. You see, many of us are great at praying on our own. We're taught as, as American Christians that, that we should do much of what we do in a Christian life on our own. And so maybe we're, we're fine with praying in the car. Maybe we're pretty good at spending some time in prayer at the start of our day. But I wonder sometimes if we don't give enough attention to praying together. You know, this section is going to go on to say, in, like in verse 8, he's going to remind us that the context is the local church. He said, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. And the, the chapter, the, the book rather, is going to go on and talk about the context of the worship gathering in the local church. As Christians, we should pray with one another, not just for one another, but with one another. You can't read the book of Acts without seeing over and over and over again as the, as the apostles and the Christians gathered together. Always, always, always they are gathering together in prayer. They are calling out to God and, and they are coming together in unified believing prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some of us here that the, the thought of praying out loud with other people, is a, it's a terrifying thought. You're, you may be a quiet person, a shy person, and, and you think, you know, I can, I can, I'm cool praying in the quiet of my house, but to get together with other people and pray out loud, they're going to realize that I sound goofy or my voice sounds silly or I'm not going to sound as spiritual as that person next to me or, you know, the guy next to you prays in, in King James English and you're like, how can I ever match that? But you know what? I, I believe that that is a, that is a fear that God wants to help you with. I believe corporate prayer, praying together, is that important that God wants to empower you to overcome that fear, to be able to gather together with other Christians and to join together in prayer to Almighty God. It's not about sounding right, or it's not about finding the right words or being able to, to see who can pray the longest. It's about the heart. And God wants us as Christians to pray together. We see the place of prayer, but also the call to prayer. Paul says, I urge you. I urge. that It's a, it's a strong word. It's a strong appeal. He's, he's, not, a, he's not just a, simply throwing out a suggestion, but he says this is, this is crucial. This is foundational to life as a believing community. He lists off several words that give us a full-orbed picture of prayer. He uses the word uh, translated supplications. That's an urgent request. Um, he uses the word prayers, which is a pretty general, normal word in the New Testament to refer to prayer. He uses the word intercessions, which gives a picture of, of uh, someone who is uh, approaching a king and appealing for someone, on, uh, appealing on behalf of someone right before the king in his very throne room. It almost reminds you of Esther when she went before the king to ask him to spare her people, the Jews, being willing to go before the highest authority, making requests. And then the final term is the term translated thanksgivings. You know, God longs to hear 
our requests, but to take time and worship Him, to take time and offer Him our thankful praise is, is absolutely a necessary part of spending time with Him in prayer. See, even when our, our request basket is full, filled with the highest priority needs, even when we're walking through difficult times, there's always something to give thanks to God for, is there not? God is so, so good to us. He says, bring your requests, bring your supplications, bring your pleadings before God, but bring your thanksgivings. Glorify Him for what He has done in your life. We see the call to prayer, but we also see the subjects of prayer. The um, Probably technically, if, if I'm getting English right, it should probably be the object of prayer, but they're people. The, the subjects, the, the, the individuals that he is calling us to pray for. At the end of verse 1, he says, these requests should be made for all people. And then he, he narrows it a little bit in verse 2, and he says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Paul says, first of all, that I want you to pray for everybody. Now, He's probably not telling us that we're required to pray for every single individual in the entire world. I don't know about you, but I would find that a rather daunting task. Probably what he's saying is that we need to pray for all kinds of people. Like, don't leave certain groups of people out of your prayer requests. And he says, namely, those who are in authority over you, the kings and the leadership in your lives. He picked a group that... Very possibly, the early Christians would have struggled to want to pray for. You got anybody like that in your life? That's a struggle to pray for them? Like you kind of know you're supposed to, but man, they, they, they treated you pretty poorly. Or, or they're, they're, they're a bit of an enemy. Or they're, they're kind of an awful, awful evil person. And you think, I can pray for these people, but this person over here, this group of people over here, I'm not so sure about that. Remember, this is even more difficult to swallow. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. He's saying, I want you to pray for the king. Who was the, who was the Caesar at the time? It was Nero. I mean, even a, a secular overview of history touches on Nero. The man was a psychopath. He, he, nobody could trust him. He even had his, his own mother killed. Uh, he hated, hated, hated Christians. Uh, history has told us that he would take the bodies of Christians and dip them in wax and use their, uh, would light them on fire and use their bodies to, to light up his gardens when he would have outdoor dinner parties. Uh, he would take Christians and have them thrown into the gladiator arena where they would be um, cheered on or cheered against by bloodthirsty mobs in the stands as wild animals attacked and tore them to pieces. It was this Nero that Paul is saying, by the way, guys, I want you to pray for your king. And if, if, you're, if I'm a Christian sitting there hearing that, I would be, I would be wiggling in my pew. Paul, you want me to pray for that guy? I'm willing, to, I'm willing to pray for this dude that picked on my toga last week or 
Uh, I'm willing to maybe go so far as to, to pray for my in-laws or maybe even U of M fans. But you're, you're talking about this dude that is having Christians killed. My friends. My relatives. You want me to pray for him? You got a Nero in your life? Maybe not somebody who you fear for your life at their hands, but someone you really, really struggle with? And God says, yes, even them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. It breaks my heart when I see how much, how, how nasty Christians can get on social media with regards to um, uh, politics and elected officials. You know, it's easy to pray when your guy is in the house, but what about when they're not? <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder if, if, if most of us, especially those of you who are, are conservatives, I wonder if you spent as much time praying for Obama as you did criticizing him. Because that's what God's calling us to do. And you can fill in the blank. Take out his name and put somebody else in there. Do we spend as much time praying for that person as we do criticizing them, complaining about them, muttering under our breath about them? He says, I want you to pray for all people. There's nobody that you, can, that you and I are allowed to cross off our prayer list because they rub us the wrong way or because they don't agree with us or because they've hurt us or sinned against us. God says that's the person that should be at the, highest, at the very top of your prayer list. He says, I want you to pray for all people, but especially, he's saying, for kings and all who are in high positions. We see... Oh, you know, I found this, I got to read this to you. This was a, a prayer that is, was discovered in the writings of Tertullian, one of the early church fathers. It was uh, written right around 100 years after, uh, after Paul, maybe just a little over 100 years after Paul would have written this to Timothy. The persecution was still intense among believers. Um, the, the, the Romans were still clamping down and killing Christians. And Tertullian wrote this. He says, Without ceasing, for all our emperors, we offer prayer. We pray for life prolonged, for security to the empire, for protection to the imperial house, for brave armies, a faithful senate, a virtuous people, the world at rest, whatever, as man or Caesar, an emperor would wish. It's pretty neat that he, over a hundred years later, Christians were putting Paul's words into practice, even still in the midst of intense persecution. No matter the, the temptations to, to rise up and to criticize and complain and argue and, and fight against, they realized that God had called them to pray for these leaders, even if they, they, they were trying to kill them. We need to ask this morning, ask ourselves, is there somebody I'm unwilling to pray for? There's someone that I've crossed off my list for whatever reason. Uncross them off and move them to the top. Secondly, we see the reason for prayer, the reason for prayer. Um, he says in verse 3, he says, this is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, first of all, simply, it's good. It's, why, do we, why do we pray? 
Why do we, we need to especially pray for those whom we're struggling with? He says, it's, it's a good thing. It's good. Not only is it being obedient to God, when you think about the implications, the ripple effects, when you're joining together with other people to pray, especially for those who are persecuting you, those who are after you, those who are your enemies, the impact that it has on the the body of Christ and the testimony to our greater community at large is, is something that you can't quantify. It is good to pray. Secondly, it pleases God. He says it is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. That's a wonderful phrase. Prayer is pleasing in the sight of God. Isn't that great to know that God is pleased when you talk to Him? I don't know about you, but sometimes when we are on long road trips, our family's on long road trips, we have this thing that is called the quiet game. And I wish I could say it was a a, a strategic game used to build whatever, community and character and all that, but it usually is pulled out when we're just tired of the noise. All right, I can't handle any more questions now. So help me if someone asks if we're there yet one more time, I'm going to lose it. The quiet game is like the, the uh, nuclear option. It's like the last code. Like everybody, it's, it's, it's a kind way of saying everybody needs to shut up now. All right, we need some silence here. I wish I could say that that was born out of a, a great spirit and in the moment, a, a, a walk with the Lord, but oftentimes the quiet game is born out of my flesh. Um, sometimes we just need some silence. But you know what? God never, ever, God never tells us to play the quiet game when it comes to prayer. Like, this says it's pleasing to God. It doesn't say that prayer is annoying in the sight of God, or it's tolerated in the sight of God, or it's inconvenient in the sight of God, or so long as, as you uh, don't drone on and on, it's okay in the sight of God. He says prayer is pleasing in His sight. And you know, when we talk to God, He's listening. Like, It is a wonderful truth to know that you have, think about this, you have the attention of Almighty God. You know, so often, um, even in in our homes, right, you try to have a conversation and and it doesn't take long before it's tempting to, somebody's got one of these out or the ball game's on, or we're trying to multitask and we're, you know, doing a chore and yeah, uh uh-huh, yep, yep, sure, uh uh-huh, yep, yep. And you're kind of half listening, but you're not fully engaged. Doesn't it make a huge difference in your marriage when you're trying to tell your spouse something important and you know you have their full undivided attention? The smartphone's not out. They're not trying to sneak a peek at the, the sports score or they don't have a book out or they're not doing another chore. They, they are fully engrossed in what you have to tell them. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, if we did that in our marriages all the time, wouldn't that revolutionize our marriages? I think it would, but we often get distracted or, or, or maybe what they're saying is not, not all that engrossing to you or, or whatever it might be. When you and I pray to God, we have His full attention. The only thing that gets in between that is if there's unconfessed sin in our life, the Bible says. Otherwise, He is listening with rapt attention. 
And what's great about God, because He's God, and, and we can't do this, but He's God and He can, is that there could be millions of people praying to Him all at once, and each person has His full attention. I know that doesn't make sense, and that doesn't work with human relationships. When all, all of your kids, grandkids, are all talking at once, like, oh, hold on, hold on here. One at a time. God doesn't do that. He can fully listen and engage. We have His heart and His mind and His attention as we talk to Him. Prayer is pleasing to God. Prayer also influences souls. It says here, um, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. When you pray, I hope you're, you're praying for souls. It's, it's easy to get caught up in our immediate needs, and we can pray for you know, the, those most pressing needs that are in our life. And it could be easy to forget about those who are without Jesus. And God calls us to pray. He's longing to draw people to Himself. And He says, I want you to pray for those people that I long to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, there's a lot here theologically that we don't have time to get into. If, if this is something that God desires, why isn't everybody saved? Um, it's outside of the scope of what our message is this morning. The truth that I want us to camp down on is that Scripture makes pretty clear that prayer makes a difference. And if it does, then praying for lost souls should be a top priority in our lives. Praying for God to grip the hearts of those who are without Christ should be a passion of every Christian. He told the disciples to pray that God would send out laborers into the field. The, the, the fields were white unto harvest. There are people who are lost and without Christ. And so we're praying that He would send people to go talk to them. We're praying that God's Spirit would uh, initiate a work on their heart. We're praying that that person will, will uh, uh, turn on a radio station and at the right moment, hear that worship song or the, uh, 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 a sermon on the radio that God will use to stir their heart and to draw them to Himself. God can use whatever means He chooses to call people to Himself, but He tells us in Scripture that one of those key means is prayer. I mean, the reality of it is that God can do whatever He wants and He can get it done with or without prayer. But the, the commands that He has pointed us to in Scripture tell us that God chooses to work through the means of prayer. That's why James can tell us that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. It, it works. It does things. Prayer moves the heart and the hand of God. And He has ordained it to be so. His heartbeat can be found in Isaiah 45, 21 and 22. There is no other God besides me. 
a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. As you make your prayer list, put some enemies up there, and put some unbelievers up there. Make sure that you're praying that God would call people to himself who do not yet know him. I love reading about George Mueller. He, he kept an extensive journal, and he would pray for people and would not give up. And he had a record that he would, he would make note of when that person finally trusted Christ. I played, prayed for this guy nine years, this one 15 years, this one 21 years. He kept at it because he believed God was at work. Finally, we have here the foundation of prayer. Every solid building has a foundation. Prayer does as well. This passage teaches us, first of all, is that Jesus, the mediator, is part of that foundation. In fact, He is the foundation. Verse 5 says, There's one, medi- one, there's one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We probably all had disputes or issues where we needed some outside help, someone to intervene. Again, going back to the parenting idea, your times your kids are at odds and you have to come in as a parent and say, okay, let's figure out what's going on here. Let me hear your side of the story. All right, let me hear your side of the story. And you work toward a resolution. Well, the Bible teaches us that our sins separated us from God, the Father. We've talked about that before. And there's nothing we can do to fix that separation. There's only one person and one person alone who can be that go-between, and it's Jesus. And He's the only one who's perfectly qualified because He is God, and so He can uh, go to bat on God's side. He can, uh, he can mediate from God's side, and He's 100% man, the Scripture teaches us, and so He can intervene from our side, and He can bring the two together. And so this verse says there's one mediator between God and man, It's the man, Christ Jesus. He's the one that allows us to be able to boldly approach God. It's through Jesus that we can go to God the Father and make these requests. We no longer have to go through the high priest. We no longer have to make sacrifices. We go straight to Almighty God. And it's because of Jesus. Secondly, not only is Jesus the mediator, but we have Jesus the substitute. He can become our mediator because he has become our substitute. Verse 6 says, he gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus gave his life for his people. And this is another verse that can get a little bit theologically sticky. It's a, uh, there have been some throughout history uh, who have read that, gave himself as a ransom for all, and they'll teach that 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 means everybody will get saved. They'll teach universalism. And then that, that verse is a key go-to verse that they'll take out of context here and um, apply that. That Ultimately, it doesn't matter what you believe. You'll all get to God eventually. Um, this verse isn't teaching that. It's teaching that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all who would believe. That's, that's the whole That's the whole picture of the New Testament. You can't just take a a verse and isolate it from the rest of the counsel of the New Testament. When you read places like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you realize, okay, this, this ransom, this substitution, this salvation applies to those who have faith. John 3, 16, for whoever believes, and on and on and on the New Testament goes. 
Jesus' ransom becomes real to a person when they trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That ransom applies to them. And that ransom is the paying of another's freedom. Imagine, imagine being taken captive and the one who pays your freedom is an enemy. Because you see, in, in Romans chapter 5, the Bible says that before, before we became a Christian, we were enemies of God. We wanted nothing to do with Him. We were separated from Him. And yet, He made the first move. He came toward us. We didn't have to flag Him down or send Him some texts and say, let's get coffee. Jesus was the one that came to us. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. It's the great news of the gospel. And it's because of Jesus Christ now, His ransom and His mediating work between us and the Father that we can go to Him in prayer. It all comes back to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that about the Bible? It all comes back to Jesus. Sometimes when we have our, our family devotions, and uh, we have a few questions we ask at the end of the reading. And um, sometimes our youngest is, has just been kind of daydreaming and not paying attention. And uh, he knows that he can throw out Jesus as an answer. And about 75% of the time, he's going to be right. It's like, it, he knows, he's learned this far, that, that it comes back, like the Bible, the story of the Bible is about Jesus. And when it comes to prayer, in this context here, as we understand what uh, what God is teaching us about coming before Him, it's all because of Jesus. It's through Jesus and because of Jesus that we can come boldly to the throne room of God and make these requests, these intercessions, these thanksgivings. And so as we think about how this truth applies to our lives, we're reminded that prayer has been made possible by the work of Christ. All glory be to God that Jesus has brought us near when once we were far off. He's brought us near because of His blood that He shed. Now we can just, we can go to Him. And we can talk to Him. We can talk to Him on our own or in this context here. We need to do it together. Because we're in a, we're in a daily spiritual battle. Especially when you're praying for souls. How wonderful that is to be able to do together. Prayer has been made possible by the work of Christ. And then we see prayer must be pursued. You see, prayer is something that we do. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. But in growing in the Christian life, there are many things that we have to, we have to do. And prayer is a decision you make to sit down and talk to God. Now, when we, when we really think about what prayer is, it's ridiculous that we don't do this more, Right? I can talk to the almighty creator of the universe and he's, I've got his undivided attention and I can talk to him about anything going on in my life, any need, any hurt, any struggle, any sin, anything, and he has the power to do something about it. And yet I can give this, what, five minutes a day, maybe 10 minutes? It's ridiculous to think that we don't invest... More time in prayer on our own and together as believers. Prayer is something that must be pursued. It's a decision that we make 
daily. As we think, as we close here, about generous praying, I guess I, I want to I bring it back to this question, because this is the question that God laid most heavily on my heart. Is there, is there somebody that I've been leaving off my prayer list? An unbeliever? Someone who maligned you? Someone who abused you? Someone whose political ideology you don't agree with? A leader somewhere along the line that you didn't see eye to eye with? My encouragement to you is um, move them to the top of the list because the Spirit of God is probably placing them on your heart right now for a reason. And then ask God's Spirit to show you those in your life who are without Jesus. And maybe this is one and the same person. And put that person right up next to the other name. Because we're in a battle in this world, a battle for souls. And God, I believe, is stirring our hearts to bring these men and women before Him in prayer because He longs to work. He longs to move. And so we should long to pray. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank You that You hear us. Thank You for this, this great gift of prayer, the great privilege we have of talking to You. Thank You that You hear us. Lord, would You stir our hearts with a longing to pray, a longing to commune with you. Help remove the obstacles that get in our way, a busy lifestyle, constant noise, electronic devices. But maybe... Maybe you're convicting us this morning that it, part of what's been in the way is our own heart, our attitude towards those for whom you're calling us to pray. Lord, may we be willing to listen. May we be moved to obey as we seek to be people of prayer. We thank you, God, that you hear. And so right now, we want to just ask that the gospel would go forth in our community. Just reminded in a fresh way of how, how many people are next door, down the street, work alongside relatives that are without Jesus. Oh, Lord, may we pray for their souls. And would your spirit draw them to your son? 
It's in the name of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.